Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Time of Your Life. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Wisdom and the Use of Your Time. I've embarked upon a special topical series called The Time of Your Life. And through this one week, I've been speaking about Paul's injunction to the Ephesians. He said, look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In this very brief study and the resultant thoughts about these words, I've noticed that time is the most precious commodity we have. It is a most strange commodity because we can't save it, we can only spend it. And it's not our purview to spend it or not. We all spend it at exactly the same rate. We spend it whether we want to or not. Furthermore, we ought not to overestimate how much of it we have. We've also noticed that in order to use time well, that is to make the best possible use of this most precious commodity, we'll have to become observant to its use, that is, we'll have to become self-aware. In so doing, we'll need to ask some very relevant questions. Are we making progress in our faith, or are we reverting to the same destructive patterns that we had before we came to Christ? And if we're observant, we will seek with the help of the Holy Spirit to reverse all destructive trends in our lives. That's a good use of time. Today, I simply want to observe the phrase, not as unwise, but as wise. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. There's a whole genre in scripture which is called wisdom literature. Normally, we assign the books of Job, some of the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon as those books that make up the books of wisdom. Often, we think of Proverbs as the centerpiece of wisdom literature. It's noteworthy to say that wisdom, as defined in Proverbs, is not the same as IQ. There are all manner of highly intelligent people who are unwise. Normally, we think of intelligence as the person who is able to absorb information easily and is able to remember it. Sometimes we also relate IQ to creativity or the ability to synthesize information Perhaps the ability to come up with fresh ideas that change the way we think and see things. All that's good. Almost all education, especially in Western culture today, is based on learning knowledge, increasing our ability to think. But wisdom is something different. Intuitively, we all know that. But what is the difference? And how do we live wisely and use our time wisely? See, one good way to think about biblical wisdom is to think about it as skill in living. Think about a skillful pianist or a skillful plumber, a skillful pilot, a skillful painter. See, to be skillful means you've mastered something. You do something extremely well. Now, the wise person lives skillfully. He or she knows how to make decisions that bring about life and good, whereas foolish persons make decisions that result in animosity between people. When foolish people make decisions, their decisions bring about evil circumstances. That might affect their own lives or the lives of others. But when foolish people act, they create calamity. They also experience distress and anxiety. 
A foolish person often becomes a byword, and I mean by that, that others see what has happened to them and they shake their heads and remind themselves not to become like that. And that's how the book of Proverbs describes the difference between wisdom and foolishness. So, for instance, Proverbs 1.7 says that fools despise wisdom. But why? Why wouldn't a fool learn from their decisions, which result in chaos, and change them? See, that's the question. And Proverbs seems to indicate that fools never change. They don't learn from the past. Proverbs 26 verse 12 says, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You see, Proverbs says that a person who's enamored with self is so set in his or her way that even a fool would change before they do. You can almost hear the response. Well, now, we know that fools don't change. So are you saying that a person enamored with himself has less chance of changing than a fool? I can't imagine it getting worse than that. And that's the point. Fools don't change. Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Wisdom takes the stance of humility. The wise man or woman is the one who seeks to learn because they know that there's so much out there that they don't know. In contrast, the fool is sure of himself, confident of his own decisions. He doesn't need to consult wisdom. He believes his own decisions will be good enough. He says, I'm going with my gut. And if I'm true to my heart, all will be well. All those kind of statements are made by fools every single day. So there is a difference between humility and self-assured confidence in oneself. Doesn't that sound contemporary? How many of you have heard, maybe even bought into some of those mantras that are said today? Trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. Follow your heart. It's as if we think that's the beginning of wisdom. The Bible responds from Jeremiah 17 verse 9, Ah, yeah, but your heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. But the fool responds, If I go with my heart, all will be well. But the wise man or woman says, my heart is not filled with wisdom. It's filled with folly. I I can't trust myself. That's why Proverbs 9 verse 10 teaches that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And Paul, borrowing on that theme, says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. The fool has never taken the time to know what God's will is because he or she is absorbed in what his or her own will is. And did you know that when you get a religious fool, that's the worst kind of fool? You see, religious fools, just like everyday pagan and non-religious fools, don't listen to anyone but themselves. But religious fools are so self-deluded, they attribute their own foolish heart and will as the will of God. I would say that's an incurable state of affairs. So we can see that Paul, when speaking about the use of time, is simply borrowing from the wisdom literature in Proverbs and in other Bible books known as wisdom literature. Don't walk as unwise people do, or don't walk the way fools do. Walk as a wise man or woman. Proverbs 4.19 says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. In other words, fools make decisions that lead them to fall, and then here's the tragedy of it. They don't understand how their decision-making process led to that fall. They're ignorant. They haven't learned a thing. But wisdom is the exact opposite. Proverbs 8.12 says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. 
You know, another word for prudence would be shrewdness or perceptiveness. It's the ability to see the value of things. And in the judgment of perceptive people, things like fearing God, which is the beginning of wisdom, or things like humility and justice and honor, a good reputation, I mean, all those things are of greater worth than money and fame and pleasure. And then once perceptive people have grasped that basic value of what is ultimately important, and then they begin to see or to notice the steps required for gaining the skills needed to live well. So again, when Paul says, use your time wisely, he means wisdom as defined in Proverbs. Have skill in living. And furthermore, know that you can't attain to that skill unless you understand the will of God. So what constitutes an unwise use of time? As we've seen, an unwise use of time would be to waste it. A lot of people do, you know. It's become an expression. I'm just wasting time. I remember as a young university student being somewhat overwhelmed with the fact that when I got to university, unlike what I had experienced in either high school or later in Bible school, university was completely different. No university professor was looking over my shoulder to find out whether or not I was up to date or in my reading or making progress in my papers. No one watched to see if I went to the library ever. No one asked. There was an immense sense of freedom. Absolutely no one was checking up on me. I I could do whatever I wanted. It was breathtakingly liberating. But it seemed that no one cared. In fact, I became aware that I could do anything I wanted with my time. And of course, none of my professors were in the mood to give any extensions on papers or were willing to reschedule any of my exams. Because I was on my own, I would sink or swim without a nod of approval or a frown of disapproval. We were either prepared for our deadlines or we weren't. I found in the first year we had people we laughingly called Christmas grads. That is, they began in September, and by Christmas, lo and behold, they'd already graduated. Their university careers were over, baby. But I found that was excellent preparation for life. God himself most often does not stop us if we decide to waste time. And that's a tragedy. But we are called upon to listen to his pleading. The days we have are precious, and how we use our days matter. Dr. John helps us to consider how we spend our time in ways that matter for eternity in his series, The Time of Your Life. Why is time so important? Well, it's a scarce commodity. It's uncertain how many days we have. Time can never be recovered, and our use of time can introduce either light or darkness. Paul's exhortation to the church in Ephesus is so true for us today. We should be a church longing to live as those who are wise, making the very best use of our time. This is a high calling, but a worthy calling. This month, request Dr. Neufeld's series, The Time of Your Life, on CD as our free gift to you. And to support Bible teaching with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. If we are to avoid the foolish use of time and embrace the wise use of time, here's the question. What is the foolish use of time? Now remember, according to Paul, 
we should understand what the will of the Lord is, and according to Proverbs, we begin by fearing God in everything. The point is this, take account of God in everything you do. And here's the problem. There are so many people who use their time in many things that do not include God. We entertain ourselves in ways that does not include God, and then we say that we have no time to volunteer in church. Young people plan their career with an emphasis on how they will be able to make a living without asking how this career might advance their life in the kingdom of God. Older people plan their retirement with ideas that they're going to drop out and look for vacation getaways without an emphasis on ministry and service. And that's foolish. I'm not saying that a good lucrative career is wrong. Neither are vacation plans, but if we plan our time without the fear of God, we're foolish. Listen to the words of Solomon in Proverbs 3, verse 35. The wise inherit honor, but fools he that is God holds up to shame. Have you ever heard the saying, you know, just keep preaching, pastor, but don't start meddling? Well, listen, I'm about to start meddling. Have you ever had a look at how you use your life? You know, we lie to ourselves. Someone says, I'm going to resolve to have devotions from now on, or I'm going to pray more. I'm going to resolve to love my spouse and kids more. And many of our plans for self-improvement seem to be good. But we can plan a better future life and all the while continue to be a fool. Some of us even call ourselves obedient followers of Jesus, and still we're not using our time wisely. Our time has not been used in mastering the skills necessary to live life in such a way as to bring about the best. Instead, we continue to live with foolish disregard. So if you're going to change, we're going to have to take a great deal of care in how we walk. And the book of Ephesians describes life as a walk. I know that the Australians talk about a walkabout. It comes from the Aborigines who encouraged their youth at the age of 13 to take six months of a walk in the wilderness. It was a a rite of passage, and there they were to learn the secrets of survival and how to become a man. Well, that idea, however, has come to take upon itself a very different popular convention. People would speak about a walkabout simply dropping out of life's duties for a period of time and simply going for a walk or travel or going anywhere they want. Just follow your feet without obligation or without the thought of ending up anywhere. You know, some of us have come to want that out of life. I want to be carefree and have enough money to do whatever I want without plan, simply acting spontaneously, following our feet where they lead us. Oh, if only I could have that, we say. Great many people who view retirement that way. I'll finally have enough money to do what I want without the encumbrances of work or commitment. In this way, we're saying, should anyone count on me? Well, listen up, I'm not available anymore. I once knew a man just like that. Prior to his retirement, he was always available for ministry and prayer times. But when his finances all came together, it was like someone switched the lights off. He was never seen again. Retirement companies even named their products after this attitude, Freedom 55. Freedom, as they use the term, is not as the Bible uses the term. In the Bible, freedom means freedom from the bondage of the flesh so that we can pursue the will of God. In contrast, freedom for some in retirement means freedom from from work and commitments and also free to pursue that dream that has been kept from us because of financial restraints. 
And to do that as early as we can, it must mean enjoying those warm beaches and sailboats and world travel. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 5:16. Make the best use of the time that you have been given. It would at this point be very easy to say that we all have 24 hours in a day and then talk about the amount of time that we give to sleep and then eating and then commuting and then working and watching TV. And that, I am sure, would have a very good application. But I don't think that's what the text is saying. There are, in fact, two different words of the Greek word time. One is the word chronos, from which we get the word chronology. That word means like what we have in a day timer. We fill up the moments. If you ask me what time it is and I respond it's 2.30 in the afternoon, I'm using the concept of chronos. But that's not the word here in Ephesians. The word here is the word kairos. And another way of translating that word is to use the synonym occasion or opportunity or even season. Now, if someone asks me what time it is and I respond by saying, I'm having the time of my life or I'm in the season of child raising or even I'm going through a renewal of my faith. Well, if that's how I respond to the question, you know I'm speaking of Kairos. You wouldn't think that has anything to do with my wristwatch or the calendar, but rather the season of my life, whether it's of an extraordinary quality or whether it's a difficult time. So here's what Paul is saying make the best use of the time. He means seize the moment of opportunity, this season that life has brought you. That's why John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, writes, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider the story from February 1998, Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. When he was 59, she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, collect shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That's a tragedy, said Piper. Each season of your life presents us with an opportunity of what will never come back. Youth and energy gives you the opportunity to focus a direction for your life, develop a lifetime passion, and discipline in serving Christ in every endeavor. In youth, you can acquire much of what you need for the journey of life. The time will not come back again. If you squander it, God may give you grace to redeem what was lost, but the skill you can acquire in that time period, that kairos moment, is foundational. So if you're young, become an expert in some field of endeavor. Seek a godly spouse. Raise godly children and find out how your career can be used to advance the kingdom of God. The time you do that is now. It won't come back. If you don't do it now, you'll have squandered a Kairos moment. The middle years present us with an opportunity to take what has been acquired in youth and to put it to great effect. These are the years of your greatest strength. It's especially so if you've used your youth well. You'll make a greater impact than you have ever thought possible. Suddenly, opportunities will open up that you never thought could have happened. It happened that way for me. I say that not to praise myself, but to give glory to God. I had the chance to win more people to Christ and to build a bigger and more influential church to the glory of God and for the sake of Christ's kingdom and so that Christ would be made known. It was bigger and grander than I had imagined. You'll never 
have a greater chance than your middle years to take significant leadership in the kingdom. And if you don't do it, that Kairos moment won't come back. And the later years, if God has mercy and grace upon you, you can use the wisdom you've acquired and pour it into the next generation. The elderly can do more to inspire the next generation than ever before by pouring out the wisdom of the years. They can be cheerleaders to great effect if they interest themselves in the next generation. There's another way of seeing this. God may be speaking to you today for your obedience, and you say, I'll obey tomorrow. There's always going to be time. But if you don't seize the kairos, the season, the moment, you'll have wasted something precious, something holy. Some of us only see chronos. There are only seconds and hours and days and months and years ahead, and you don't see what's offered to you today. Napoleon said that in every battle, there were about 15 minutes in that battle that would determine the way that battle would go. Some of us have only imagined that there will be just another 15 minutes after this one and then another 15. These are the words of a fool. Use time wisely. Before I end, I need to say something to those who are listening to my voice who have squandered so many opportunities in life. I've personally met, especially among the elderly, those who have wept in my presence as they've recounted the moments they did not seize. Let me help you if that's you. Romans 8.28 says that God will cause all things to work together for the good to those who love him. That means that even our failures can be used for your long-term benefit. But you can seize this moment today. You can use the time that God gives you today to much effect so that in eternity, you'll thank God for that Kairos moment. Thanks for your message, John. And let me ask you, should we believe that God will provide us all that we require to journey through every season of life? Well, he really will. He's God, he loves his children. Uh, He's adopted us into his family. According to the book of Ephesians, that we have uh, been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, you know, all these things are God's promise to us. So we have to have that attitude because it's an attitude of faith. And that also allows us then uh, to use wisdom in how we use our time because um, as we begin to see the, the things that God gives us in the times in which we live, that he gives that out of his loving and gracious hand. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Time of Your Life, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Momentum is picking up as friends from across the country sign up for the 2022 Israel Experience. Join us from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022, with Bible teacher Dr. John Neufeld, Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway, very special musical guests, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Travel to the Holy Land where Jesus, Paul, David walked. Visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, David's Royal Palace, sail the Sea of Galilee, and join in communion together at the Garden Tomb. Well, the full Israel itinerary is now available online, and to ensure an intimate experience, numbers are limited, so register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at Back to the Bible.
www.thepeopleshow.ca.